It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. And welcome back to the Rock Shock Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Metz. Today, we are continuing our season previews of all of the Kansas football opponents for this particular season, or at least all the Big 12 opponents. Um, we are finally at the one that I think you guys are probably most interested in hearing from, given all of the realignment news that's kind of happened recently. Uh, it is it is time to preview the Texas Longhorns. Uh, to help me do that, I have Kyle Carpenter of the Longhorn Republic podcast coming on. Kyle, how are you doing today? I'm doing very well, my friend. Uh, always a pleasure to come on here. Uh, we had fun talking basketball. Uh, oh yeah, uh, last last a uh, couple months ago. Um, and so much has changed since then. <laughs> You're right. Our, our simple world that we thought we knew the the landscape has <laughs> shifted dramatically. Yeah, you know it's it's kind of funny because I think everybody was well aware that you know you get past 2025 and there's a really really good chance that something was going to happen with the Big 12. Either they were going to expand yeah. and kind of solidify everything. Or the teams would start thinking about going somewhere else. I don't think anyone, like, I, I don't think anyone had the pool entry of, you know, August of 2021 is when the world is going to implode. So, um, yeah, this was a little a little strange. And I guess we'll kind of get it out of the way a little bit early. You know, it, it definitely seems like everyone is blaming Texas for kind of putting all this together. I'm wondering, though, how much of that is the fact that there are so many Texas fans that are, you know, to put it to put it as politely as I possibly can being complete and total asses on <laughs> Twitter about this entire thing. Yeah. I mean, there, there, there's a couple of things there, right? First of all, when you said no one sees that coming, I would, I mean, there's going to be people who said I predicted that, but I would put Texas fans in that category. I don't think anyone saw, you know what, after a year and a half of a pandemic where life has been crazy, right. Right. Like in itself has been surreal. That's when we're, we're going to switch. Right. Like, no, I think everyone knew this was going to happen at some point, but I don't think anyone thought it was going to happen this this soon before the end of the guarantee of right or the grant of rights. right right us us included um again right 10 years ago there was there was you know some some wobbles and some talk and some interesting things 
there have been flirting you know the idea of being independent has been thrown around but i don't think it was again it never felt to me like it was really serious but little did i know obviously when this news dropped a little bit ago but uh yeah i mean look texas uh, the big bad boogeyman and all of this i understand it i understand why if i were um a fan of of another team why it would be very easy i, I think as long as the big 12 has been there texas has done enough to to kind of elbow their way to the front whether they were you know good or not they just feel <laughs> right. like they deserved a place and and and, and you know right or wrong um so you know the the target on on texas's back has been there for years again because of probably the way that certain coaches certain athletic directors heck probably even certain players have conducted themselves i get that like i totally get it so even if this had just been nothing glaring and just happened i think the the target would have been on texas's back and it'd been their fault anyway somehow like ou is is never done anything better than just like for the past i don't know 20 years of big 12 let texas be the bad guy and just sit back and right right we actually talked know? about this over on the 10 12 <laughs> that like ou pulled it off perfectly to just let texas be the meat shield here yeah i mean yeah and and, and good for them the sooners i mean until they're they're their press conference where they, I think went back to biblical days and just started smiting any and every uh, person that had ever wronged them up until that point, they had handled it, you know, pretty, pretty beautifully. Yeah, but for sure, look, I, I have personally been advocating since the U vacated college football as like a real bad guy. And Alabama, I guess is like a proxy bad guy just because they are the juggernaut, but there's not really a great villain team like year in year out in college football. And so I've been advocating for years that UT just make a heel turn and just lean into this and just be like, you know, uh, a nineties era, who is the million dollar man, Ted DiBiase, just we're so rich and just lean into it and be the bad yeah. guy. Um, you know, this, this heel turn, I hope, I hope it comes to fruition, but I, I do agree. If Texas fans are listening to this, I, I all my Kansas uh, fans, you know, when it's not us playing on basketball, I love you guys. But um, if any Texas fans followed me over here and listening to this and under the sound of my voice right now, please don't be jerks on the internet. Like, there's no reason. Uh, there's nothing bad coming out of this for Texas, but there's also no reason to, to gloat. Um, enjoy, you know, the, the the time we have remaining in the Big 12, some of these rivalries that have been going on forever and, and you know, go out with a little bit of class. So, so any Texas fans, please take heed of that. Like, Either that or again, listen to what I said and lean all the way in NWO Hulk Hogan style and just like, let's go, let's go full heel turn. Yeah. You know, I, I, I had to be real careful about who I booked for this actual preview here because there, there are certain people that I know would have caused a mutiny um, in my own staff over at Rock Stock Talk if I had brought them on. Um, I think you have an idea of who I'm actually talking about, but it's, you know, it's one sure. of those things where um, I think the biggest disconnect is that, yeah, I mean, I, I'm fully on board if, if Texas fans are embracing the fact that it's, you know, he, a heel turn. The problem is, um, you know, I see way too many Texas fans who are like, well, yeah, duh. Like we're the good guys. We're the ones that have been yeah. screwed over all these years. Like, no, yeah. absolutely yeah. not. You can't, you can't try to, you know, act like you're not the villain in this and embrace that role. And so like, if, if that's the way the approach that they took, I'd have absolutely no problem with it. It's like, yeah, we know we were the villain. We're going to fully embrace it. You know, if I'm going to be an ass about it, it's because I've embraced that role. It's not because I'm, you know, been wronged by having to be in the Big 12 and having to deal with all of these, quote unquote, right. lesser programs, you know. So it's like, right. but OK, I don't want to dwell on that the in, the entire time. <laughs> but I mean, it's definitely one of those things where it's going to be interesting how that affects games this year, because sure. obviously anytime Texas goes on the road, there's going to be a lot of really strong feelings one way or another. Any team playing Texas is going to want to show them up even more so I think than Oklahoma one, because I think it's a little, it's going to be more attainable to beat Texas than it is to beat sure. Oklahoma. Um, but also again, just that perception, the way that's been put out there, it definitely seems, I think that most people 
are going to circle that Texas game much more before they circle any of the other ones. So um, before we, though, get into the schedule and, and kind of what to expect for this year, I do want to take a look back at last year because yeah, last year, you know, it, obviously it was a weird season with the way the pandemic went and everything. Um, but I think it was also one where I thought Texas was actually expected to take a step forward. And, and I don't know that you can actually say that they did. So fr- from your perspective, what was last season like? Was it the step forward that they really should have taken? And, and what from last year can we really look at and kind of bring forward to this year? It was a wild ride going through it. I've had time to kind of step back enough, look back, analyze about it. Obviously, it resulted in a coaching change and, and, and a program change, change of direction. So it's <clears throat> last season had pretty massive implications. But yes, I think everyone thought it would be <clears throat> it would be year where Texas took a step forward, a bigger step forward. There's two ways of thinking of this. They went seven and three. Again, I'm on a Kansas podcast. I'm not going to sit here and be mean and say, if our last game of the season against Kansas doesn't get canceled, that there's not a decent chance that that record is eight and three. Um, you know, they, they basically won a, a overtime, two overtime games against tech and, and Oklahoma state. Those could have gone the other way, but they also lost a four overtime game to Oklahoma and really in that Iowa state game, they were up so big early and not on the scoreboard necessarily, but had a 10 point lead in a, in a game that ended 20 to 23. And basically Tom Herman's worst tendency of just turtling at the end of games. The reason there's so many one score games in his tenure, which again, may have been one of the big reasons he got fired, but cost him that Iowa state game. They should have beat Iowa state in that game. And I think every neutral and every Texas fan certainly will tell you that I bet certain uh, certain wide right uh, characters might disagree with me on that. But I think outside <laughs> of Iowa State, anyone who watched that game would tell you that Texas probably should have won that game. But they just literally, the entire course changed after they scored a touchdown with seven minutes left in the third quarter. But imagine a world where they lose that four overtime game with OU and then they win, what is it, seven straight out if they do play Kansas and, and win a bowl. Again, I don't know that they would have played Colorado in that bowl, but if they do that, then you're looking at, you know, a, a, an eight and two team that won probably a bigger bowl again, assuming that still happened one out had the momentum at the end. And Tom Herman is absolutely the coach. I don't know that anyone necessarily wanted that, but you can look back at the year and you can say, look, 14 points in their favor over the course of a season. They're undefeated. I don't think that was an undefeated team last year. I don't by any means, but every game was so close, even the ones that they won that it just, um, you set yourself up for the, 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 the law, the law of probability that you're going to lose as many of those as you're going to win just, just by that nature right. of play calling. Right. So. <clears throat> yeah. Well, and I, and I remember you right here and there, I was to say, I, I remember vividly like that game against Texas tech, honestly, I, that, that shouldn't have been as close as it was. And there was a few opportunities that tech had to kind of put that game away that they weren't able to absolutely. And, and the game against Oklahoma state, there was some, some questionable calls and some other things that kind of happened that really were huge bounces in Texas favor that they had to get yeah. in order to win that game. So, um, you know, I, I, I am though, um, a big proponent of Tom Herman knew that his job was in trouble. And so he intentionally dodged the Kansas game twice so that he wouldn't lose to them and get run out of town the same way that Charlie strong did. So understood. Yeah, understood. yeah, exactly. So, you know, it, I mean, it's, it, it is one of those things though, where it, it was definitely, I think a disappointing season by Texas standards. And yeah. the fact that Tom Herman got fired at the end of it, I, I was a little surprised with the way that they beat Colorado. Um, I also wondered though, and I think there's a lot of speculation out there, how much of the, the, the coaching change was because of, you know, this coming up with the move to the SEC and wanting to, to kind of refresh and start over. 
I don't know if it was necessarily because they wanted Sark specifically, but more of a, they, you know, knowing that this was coming, they were probably like, I don't know that we want to take Tom Herman as our coach into the SEC if that happens. And of course, who knows about timing of when this is actually going to happen? You know, if it's sure. going to be in 2025 when they finally go, or if they're going to, you know, be some sort of accelerated buyout or some, you know, juiced up buyout to get them out of there sooner. Um, I, I am kind of interested to see how all that's going to play out. And of course, that's a completely different podcast to talk about, right. you know, like what that's going to look like, given all of the the legal bickering back and forth between the Big 12 and the and the SEC and, and ESPN yep. and all that. So, um, but yeah, it's definitely, I think, in terms of what you can take from that, I think really just the fact that it was a it was a disappointing season by Texas standards yeah. and they were ready for a change. I, I thought I was a little surprised at the way that they did it. And, I, you know, I also kind of wonder with with certain key positions kind of having enough turnover I mean I don't know how much you can take obviously B. John Robinson being back is going to be absolutely huge for you guys he's going to be one of the best running backs yep. in the big 12 if not in the nation um I guess really the question is though how much and and, and we'll jump right into the offense to kind of talk about this now sure in, in terms of the changes that are happening and the offense you lose Sam Ellinger as your quarterback because he graduates um what what is the biggest issue I think for this offense? Like, is it the fact that you have two quarterbacks that are still trying to win the starting job, or is there something else in the offense that you're worried about more? I think quarterback is the thing a lot of people have circled on, just because it's it's been a few years since Sam Ellinger and and uh, Shane Bouchelle, you know, four years ago that we had one of these, and and before that, I mean, geez, I guess it may have been um, Colt McCoy beating out Jevin Sneed, if that's a name for the, for those of you from Blast from the past. But you know, oh my they gosh, come around they don't come around that often, right? Every, every four to five years, do we really get a true quarterback battle? So I think a lot of eyes obviously are there. I think the talent is relatively comparable from a starting point ceiling versus floor can be argued, but I think what you're getting there is relatively comparable for me. The bigger question is going to be, you know, the offensive line returns a lot of guys, four out of five starters, likely though the fifth year senior who played center last year out of necessity, will hopefully move back to right tackle. He has some competition from some young guys who've stepped up there. So likely they will have four out of five starters returning. Can that offensive line take a step up? They were good run blocking last year, but they weren't great pass blocking really any of the past, let's call it four years. Um, so can they take a step up? It, we, we look at a guy like Sam Cosme who got drafted and basically every, you know, every scouting report on the guy said he got drafted in spite of his coaching in college. His technique was horrendous. Basically the Washington football team has come out and said they picked him knowing that they were going to have to rebuild his entire technique, which is not a glowing endorsement of the outgoing offensive line. Coach. Yeah, definitely. Not. Um, so you wonder about this unit with, you know, a guy who has done it at Alabama and I'm talking about Sark, I'm talking about Kyle flood, the, the offensive line and co-OC who has, you know, skins on the wall. He's put tons of guys in the NFL. He clearly knows how to do it. So um, with the kind of returning talent with a single off season of, of a new offense with, with Sarkeesian, who's one of the, you know, truly brightest minds uh, on the offensive side in, in college football today. And then an offensive line coach who, who seems again, it's really easy to look good at Alabama, but who's, he really knows what he's doing. Will they will they take a step forward in that passing game? And Steve uh, Sarkeesian's kind of RPO um, offense, will they be able to take another step forward? A lot of people, there's been discussion on the Texas side um, about who the playmakers are who are going to step up in the receiving game. I think there are talent there. There's numbers, but there's no for sure one guy. And the guys that people seem to think in the front uh, or the front runners are probably not 
the names that opposing fan bases would be as familiar with because a guy like Jordan Whittington, who is a five-star, all everything two way was classified as an athlete, but really probably playing receiver. It's the best for him, but he's been hurt. And so even though he might be the most likely breakout candidate, you haven't really seen a ton on the field other than a 10 catch game against OU last year. Um, Troy O'Meara is a, sim- a similar guy who's a big Tom Herman type receiver, not really the Sarkeesian prototype, but who just wows people every offseason, but had a really brutal knee injury and missed his freshman year last year. So I think it's, it's on the offensive side more about, some of the other questions than quarterback, because I think quarterback's going to have multiple guys. If they can get that one or two guys who step up, then either of the two can do the job. Can the line block enough for that passing game? And then again, the, the thing you let it off with Texas offense will go as far as B. John Robinson takes them. I think Sarkeesian actually said today in a press conference that the ideal number for him is around 20 touches a game. If the, if the game really dictates it, he could see that being 30, which is a welcome change for Texas fans who looked at, Bijan being underused is really the final nail in the coffin of Tom Herman's coaching career and, and not being the coach at Texas. And if that had changed, maybe, you know, that might be slightly different, but I mean, you just, you just look at the numbers and it's, it's unreal. He averaged like 15 yards a carry in high school. And we said, well, that's obviously a fluke that just can't happen. He finished last year with 86 carries for 700 yards, averaged eight yards a carry in, yeah. in college football. I mean, the guy clearly has it. He's got something, uh, special. And so I think seeing him be the focal point uh, in the run game and, and even probably some in the, in the past game uh, for the Texas offense is, is a welcome thing. And it is, you know, barring knock on wood, some kind of injury, what you should see every game uh, throughout the season. Yeah. I, I wondered though, how much Bijan was helped last year by the fact that Sam Ellinger seemed very willing to just take off, um, you know, and Ellinger seemed to like think that he had to do everything himself, <laughs> Um, which I think to some degree he did because the offensive line didn't necessarily give him a bunch of time to, to do stuff. And I, you know, say what you will about the the skill position players that Texas had last year, but the wide receivers didn't really help Ellinger too much. And so I think Ellinger felt like he had to do it a lot more with his feet than he really should have, which I, I think in some ways did help Bijan. But I also wonder, so like as he becomes the focal point in the running game, you know, and, and I, I think it really going to depend on what style of quarterback you guys have coming into the next season, whether Bijan, like those numbers are going to come back down or not, because if he's the main runner and you don't have to worry so much about a mobile quarterback trying to get out and get yards on the ground, it might make it a little easier. I think for teams to kind of contain what Bijan is doing, at least somewhat to bring him down from, you know, eight yards carry to maybe six. Uh, Yeah. I have no, no, no crazy misconception that he's going to have, you know, uh, 300 carries and average 10 yards to carry 3000 yards. But uh, I, I do think Ellinger actually took, you know, a step back in his running. He is, uh, in, you know, uh, 160 each, each year was down around 110. And, and there were certain games that really peaked that, you know, where there was games where he had 20 carries that OU game, for instance, um, where his, it kind of carried his average. He actually averaged, I think probably ran a little bit less, at least by designed run where there was multiple years where he was our leading rusher on the team, which is not what I want. I will say this as much as I love Sam Ellinger and I am a, am a deep respect for that man's heart, passion, grit, and, just bleeding of burnt orange. I do think that if Casey Thompson is the quarterback who wins, he is a much more dangerous running quarterback uh, than, than Sam was. I think he's, you know, Oh, right. right. I I wasn't saying that Sam Ellinger should have been running it. It's just that he did it a lot because he felt like he had to. Right. And I think Sarkeesian's offense, he doesn't want a quarterback to, to, to be doing that. I think Ellinger would have been a weird kind of, I would have been very interested to see that fit under Sark. Um, And, 
Casey Thompson wins. I'm very, very curious um, because in the past, Thompson has been the type of quarterback and, and in high school was an absolutely electric um, running quarterback, very good throwing the ball as well. But a guy who in his short time at Texas has looked like when everything breaks down in the past, he kind of trusted his legs more and, and would look to do that versus, you know, using his legs to throw the ball downfield. Now in the Colorado bowl game, we saw the opposite where he, you know, extended a couple of plays in the pocket um, and, and rolled out and, and made great throws. So um, again, I, I don't know Hudson card very well, even though he's younger has the elite talent that he could be the starting quarterback. I kind of think it'll be Thompson uh, is where my, my head is leaning at least in the beginning of the season. We'll see at the end, but yeah, I, I agree with you that I think if a defense knows because the coach isn't shy about saying it, that they're going to try to get the ball to be John Robinson well, they're going to be loading up a box. Does that yeah. open up the passing game? Does that make the 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 arm of Thompson or Card more dangerous? Again, is it is if 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 there's a lot of high star recruits on this team? I know fans of other teams hear that and and, and roll their eyes, and I get it, right? Because you know there's lots of teams that have done better than Texas in the past ten years and have had far less five star culture over five star players. I totally and utterly get it. But if any of those players uh play up to their potential this year some of the guys who aren't proven take that step forward and again and sark knows how to get the the best out of that offense then i think if you start looking at i can i can load the box and try to stop Bijan. then i do think that even if you don't have a four-year starter at quarterback even if you don't have that guy who caught 70 passes you don't have a tylen wallace out on the receiver you don't have that level of of player household name that the talent is there and again i don't know that i trust beside lincoln riley uh many minds to 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 take on that challenge in year one as i do for for coach shark just again if if teams are going to choose to try to take Bijan away i almost think in some way that plays into the advantage of making a new quarterback have one less defender in the rpo you know to help make that decision quick right so i'm very curious to see how it plays out because um i do think that that good coaching even though they don't have experience their new system will will help that offense kind of jump right away and 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 be pretty solid top top couple i'll say top two or three uh in the big 12 next year yeah it's it's definitely one of those things though that where like i think the most important thing is it's still going to be that that offensive line because i think what we saw a lot was texas was pretty good at run blocking last year with their offensive line Mm -hmm. was not very good at all with pass blocking and so You know, in order in order to take some of the pressure off of Bijan, they have to be able to do the pass blocking because otherwise, no one's going to trust that they're actually going to you know try to pass, or if they do try to pass, that you know they're they're going to be get home pretty quick. So, I, yeah. I, I definitely think that you know I think the biggest indicator isn't necessarily going to be quarterback play; it's going to be how much time do the quarterbacks have to actually throw the ball because they don't even necessarily need to be super successful going deep um, or anything like that. They just need to have time to actually run. Um, you know, an actual good passing play and even get like short completions and just not be able to sell out entirely on, on, on Bijan. That's going to be, I think the biggest question is how yeah. long is it going to take for that offensive line to gel? And like, are we going to get halfway through the season and teams are still pretty much able to kind of settle in and stop Bijan because the rest of the offense can't really do anything to stop them. So, so yeah, that, that'll be key to watch. Yeah. So, so, so to that end though, in terms of pass catchers, like who does, who does Texas have at this point? Like, is there anyone that you're expecting to have a breakout year this year, either from tight ends or wide receivers? Yeah. So tight ends, tight ends interesting because they bring back Cade Brewer, who's definitely the most experienced pass catcher in that, in that group. Um, he's a, I think a super senior in his fifth year, but 
I don't think he's our most talented tight end. I think Jared Wiley uh, showed some flashes. He's, he's big. He's a guy who played quarterback in high school. He said, you know, this past offseason was his first time doing an offseason for the second time at the same position in his career. You know, he's, he's been moved around. So hopefully if he can pick that up a little bit, I think by the end of the year, he might really feature there, um, you know, five-star, all everything two-way phenomenon Jatavian Sanders, who is, you know, uh, a top 10 level recruit in, in, in the country, again, elite defensive end that showed what he can do catching the ball, just a, a, a monster. But again, is he going to play tight end defensive end? We, we, we don't know, but I, the tight ends, I think will, will feature and will be interesting. Sarkeesian said, um, you know, after the quarterback that, that that might be the most important position in his offense. But I really think if we're looking for a breakout player, I think Jordan waiting to, I mentioned earlier is, is that guy. He'll probably be the slot receiver. Um, he's a guy who when Texas had a running back kind of, crisis he was playing running back um he's played receiver if he can be healthy and he is just muscles upon muscles you you think okay this guy looks like adonis he can't be touched but he's had some injury issues and so that is the big caveat if he can stay healthy for an entire season i see no reason that with his speed and his you know pretty solid hands why he can't be um the type of guy who gets 60 catches in, in in a sarkeesian offense and i don't know whether to compare him you know to which of the former Alabama uh, receivers, which a lot of Texas writers want to do. And I'm not going to fall into that trope. I think he's a unique guy who can, who can catch it in the slot and make people miss. He can run pretty decent routes downfield, but I think probably short to medium will be where he's most uh, dangerous. Josh Moore was their leading receiver last year. I don't know immediately if he's for sure going to be the breakout guy. He's, he's a player who can show up big in games and make, catches where he jumps over a player and catches wins, you know, 50, 50 air duels repeatedly runs post routes that, that leave defenders two yards in the dust for touchdowns. And he can also have games where he disappears. So if he makes that step up and then, then I don't know, maybe Andre Coleman's one of the few coaches who Sarkeesian retained. And so I, I, I think of that more as a glowing endorsement than, than anything else. So I hope that that means we'll see some continued development uh, there. And again, um, there, there's a lot of guys. Xavier Worthy was a really coveted recruit who, who came flipped from Michigan will be a true freshman, but like the type of guy with, with, you know, uh, big 12, hundred type track speed, uh, who, you know, Sarkeesian likes speed, you know, his offense, he wants the all gas, no breaks in, in, in a way that's not just a mantra, but truly, I think he likes to have track stars out there who, who can, you know, take the top off a of defense, open up the running game underneath, open up kind of the intermediate routes, but have those track stars out there. So Kevante Dixon and, and Xavier worthy more uh, than anyone might be other guys because they might be the home run threat. So um, I think those, and then I mentioned Troy Amir is a guy who doesn't fit the Sark offense. He's big. He stood next to DeAndre Hopkins when they worked out in the offseason, and Hopkins looked like the guy who was in college while this 19-year-old <laughs> – I mean, it really was. They were both staying there shirtless, and he looked in every way bigger than probably the best – let's call him one of two best receivers on the planet. Um, so that's an endorsement. Again, we just haven't seen it not in practice or scrimmage uh, due to injuries, but he's a guy who just has wowed every camp, every kind of offseason spring – uh, fall training the coaches two different staffs now just seem pretty wild with with what he's able to do in practice so um, again I, it is a big it is a big question mark with Jake Smith leaving um, with Brennan Eagles going to the draft I mean basically they they lost I think they brought number one back in Josh Moore and lost two three four in their pass catcher so there will be a lot of new names and faces um, in addition to a brand new offense yeah I, I think it'll be interesting I think the one thing that really jumps out to me that was part of the problem that Texas had last year was they didn't really have a deep threat. And so that's like the missing piece in terms of someone that can get deep and then 
you know, a quarterback that has actually time to deliver the ball deep. And so yes. like yeah. if they can get both of those things to work consistently in the offense, and I do think that this Texas offense becomes a pretty dangerous one. The question though, I mean, cause like last year the offense was able to score pretty, pretty much at will, you know, especially in, in, in some of the games they played not, not only last year, but the year before. Uh, so I think the real question for this team is probably going to be the defense and how much they improve. I do want to get to that, but before we do that, I need to throw it, throw it to a quick break. We will be right back on the rock chalk podcast. If you love the Big 12, then we have the show for you. The 10-12, the podcast that covers all 10 teams in the Big 12 Conference. Forget the SEC, forget the Big 10, and forget national podcasts that only talk about Oklahoma and Texas. We talk about the Sooners and the Longhorns. We also talk about the Cyclones, the Cowboys, the Wildcats, the Mountaineers, the Jayhawks, the Red Raiders, the Horn Frogs, and the Bears. We love the whole Big 12, and we are available everywhere that podcasts are found. So go and find the 1012 Podcast and subscribe today. And we're back. All right, here with Kyle Carpenter of the of the Longhorn Republic Podcast. Kyle, wanted to talk about Texas's defense because I think that's still like the biggest question mark for this team. Oh, yeah. They've had a really, really inconsistent defense the last few years under Tom Herman. I don't know how much that actually changes under Sark, given that Sark is a more of an offensive coach. So, like, what is the expectation for this defense? How has the defensive staff changed? Like, what, I, I guess, really, the, the real question is, what is going to be the biggest thing that's going to change how this defense performs? Well, uh, it sounds cliche, but I think, you know, new defensive coordinator coming in, I think uh, Pete Kukowski, Coach K from here on uh, out, Coach K is... That proven. that moniker has now been opened up with the retirement that's, of Krzyzewski, that's, right? That's right. That's absolutely right. And I am, I am putting our stake in the ground early. Um, not a guy who would want that moniker, the most quiet, just um, unassuming for defensive coordinators who you think are just madmen who drink 26 monster drinks a day and just have veins popping out of every, you know, head, oh leg, gosh. arm, chest, right? Like a, like a, some version of Bane is what I, I picture defensive coordinators. As. Oh my gosh. That, that image. <laughs> Kukowski is not that he's not the guy he's just he, he's a guy who is who is smart who is uh always game planning he is a guy who is gets his the most out of his guys at Washington um you know just really I think did a really incredible job kind of flew under the radar because Pacific Northwest uh and again the, the Pac-12 generally known not known as a defensive uh, powerhouse, but just put guys in the NFL consistently had, had takeaway uh, plus takeaway defenses consistently, um, you know, gave some of the better offenses in that conference, their biggest headache. Right. And so I, I think, um, I think as cliche as it is, I think him coming in and also, I mean, I'm not sure if non-Texas fans are aware of this, but dating all the way back to like maybe Manny Diaz, you know, Texas had so many defensive coordinators, like 10 in the past 10 years. Yeah. But there is this thing where the new defensive coordinator bounce, like is bigger than anything else. Like, uh, you know, Muschamp's first year, they were like a top five defense Diaz as though he got fired. They were, they were, you know, a, a, a top like 15 unit, like even, even the most recent two who have been uh, much maligned at the end of their terms came in their first year for Chris Ash uh, and came in and had really good year ones comparatively. Um, again, I think the fact that uh, there's been shootouts would say, no, that defense hasn't been good. But if you look at advanced metrics and some of the like yards per play, um, I, I really think last year, even though the offense was so good, that there was a lot of, they started with great field position. I think they were like top five or eight in the, in the country and in, in, uh, average starting field position for that offense. The defense really did a lot for an under 
for an unsung unit. I mean, I think uh, the amount of times that they held elite offenses to, to field goals in, in, you know, win or go home situations, like again, against Iowa state holding them to multiple field goals before they finally broke against uh, OU keeping them in that game when that offense was just so putrid for, for the majority of, of that game, even though the offense performed well at times and when they were, when they were moving, they looked great. The defense was the more consistent of the two units last year. I mean, without a doubt, as someone who watched every snap of, of last season, twice now i guess it was painful but uh you know it, the defense returns a decent amount from that team last year i think we'll hopefully have an offense that puts them in better positions um and has a coordinator who comes in to maximize that i mean there's a couple guys who i can single out and and talk about that i'm i'm excited about but there's no doubt that there are question marks replacing the heart and soul of the defense and joseph osai um i think is not a small task by any stretch of the imagination, even though he didn't put up, you know, when you think of an edge rusher, oh, he had 13 sacks. Well, no, he had a decent amount of sacks, but I think was, I don't know where he finished in the season, but for most of the year was top five in, in tackles for loss. Was the guy who, you know, was just incredible in quarterback pressures, uh, probably had three or four a game, even though he didn't always get the sacks. Um, just was a guy who, there was a reason was, was, was on the, the kind of all big 12 and got some national um, discussion for play or for, for all American uh, lists. Right. He, he was very, very good and replacing him is tough. You can't just instantly put another guy who's going to rush on the edge. But I think that there is enough talent here that if coach K can maximize in his system, that, that they don't have to like for like replace him and that there can be, if they can lean on what they do well, then I think, I think that you might have a chance that this defense takes a little step forward. Yeah. I mean, so you talked about what they lost. Obviously Joseph Asai was, was kind of a big piece of that. And, and I mean, I, I definitely get your point about how they, they played fairly well in, in some pretty big games, but you know, I'm looking at the schedule they had last year. And for the most part, the, you know, teams that they stopped from scoring were teams that had questionable offenses and the teams that they, allowed to score where the teams had good offenses. So it's, it's not like it was a, a shutdown defensive unit. The question though, I think I have for you is like, Asai obviously is a, is a big loss. Um, but what other big pieces did they lose that they're going to have to try to replace and who is going to have to step up into those positions for them? Yeah. So, I mean, I think a big one is Juwan Mitchell at linebacker and linebacker has been the bane of Texas football defense existence for the past, I don't know, it seems like four years. They had Gary Johnson come as a Juco transfer who put in a good shift for them. Juwan Mitchell, kind of another Juco transfer. He's now at Tennessee, um, but who came in and, and even though he got ejected like, I think three games last year for targeting. Um, and he felt like he was always a risk to get thrown out of any game was still their leading tackler on that defense. Um, I'm not going to say addition by subtraction because that would be rude to him. We don't truly have that position filled. Um, but again, just the fact that he didn't necessarily fit the prototype of a, of a big 12 linebacker. He, he liked, you know, playing Iowa state and a team like that. He didn't necessarily like uh, having to, to cover guys who ran four fours down the field, like no linebacker does, you know? Um, but uh, so it will be curious to see who they put in um, at that middle linebacker position next to um, talk about in a moment, but to Marvin Overshun who, who returns there in the linebacker room. So I think replacing that uh, as well. Um, I think bringing back most of the secondary will be good. They, they do obviously have to replace Caden Stearns who Stearns is such an interesting case. He, he, he's from my hometown. He's a player who I have loved. He was a, 
all American five-star recruit, a, a big, 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 big time recruit um, in high school who came out as freshman year as a freshman All-American, showed all the promise in the world that he was the next Earl Thomas. He was the next, you know, just great UT defensive back who was going to have a, a 10-year NFL career. And I hope he does. But between a combination of injuries and, and a couple different coordinators, he never lived up to his freshman year. He ended up declaring early and going. But that was one that there were plays where he just truly missed and there were plays that he made. But in his last few years, it was a lot of promise of, oh, he'll get that. And then he didn't. That I almost think it a fresh start there will be a good thing for the defense. And, and a fresh start for him in the NFL level will be a good thing because he has as much talent as a rookie as any player in the NFL. And I mean that truly. He just has speed. He has length. He can read. Uh, if, if he can play up to his potential, he, he has the potential to, to, again, be the Broncos starting safety for the next 10 years. He's, he's that level of talent, but um, they will be kind of um, looking to replace him. It's Brendan Schooler moved from receiver, the Texas tech line brother. We have the other schooler who, who both came from the PAC 12. He's going to have a lot to say about starting that BJ Foster is a guy who was in that same kind of lauded recruiting class with Caden Stearns. Um, another five-star recruit who's been hurt. He's played multiple games as a defender with a, with a, with a cast, uh, plays his heart out, but really is more of a hitter than a true secondary. So it'll be interesting where he falls into it. Um, and then Jaron Thompson, a guy who coaches just love and think, you know, he has a lot um, to say about, you know, the next couple years of that, that safety position, probably more free safety there. Um, and, and BJ or, or Schooler playing for the strong safety. But I, I think it will be curious to replace that, that safety room uh, as well. And, and there are some other guys, Chris, uh, uh, Chris Brown was a guy who flexed a lot. Fans might remember that um, after making plays again, he probably was like about average for what we're replacing him with. Um, I, again, I don't mean to speak ill of any of these guys. It's just I, I, the, the steps down really are going to be seen at replacing Joseph Osai um, potentially replacing at least the consistency and a returning middle linebacker um, and then replacing the talent potential, the ceiling uh, of Caden Stearns. Yeah. I mean, so it, it definitely sounds like there's a lot, you know, it's going to have to get turned over and then a lot that you have coming in. So it'll be, it'll be interesting, I think, to see how well the defense is able to kind of accept the new system and, and kind of make all that work. There's definitely, you know, a lot of big 12 offenses are going to challenge them this year. So I do want to go ahead and jump over to the actual schedule. But before we do that, there is one other phase of the game to talk about, the special teams. Um, yeah. Hasn't necessarily been one of the strongest spots for for Texas in the last few years. But where where are you guys at with that? Do you think that that's going to be a strength moving forward? I think so. You, you basically are looking at, at seniors across the board, right? Um, you have Cameron Dicker, Dicker the kicker, um, a guy who probably had his worst season out of he's been kicking since he was a freshman uh and he, he made the kind of game winner against OU and became a UT legend uh last year but but still has been pretty solid I don't know if people expected him to immediately be Justin Tucker which is a big ask but uh, we've had you know a lot of NFL kickers come through UT so I get it but uh I think Cameron Dicker is going to be solid I think he will be a top three kicker in the big 12 uh this year I, I think you know let's see him you know, live up fully to his potential and, 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 and be the best, you know, I don't think that's out of his talent range. Ryan Bushevsky is obviously Michael Dixon's cousin, Michael Dixon, the only punter to ever be the, the MVP of a bowl game uh, that actually happened. And it was delightful, but now probably the second best punter in the NFL for the, for the Seahawks. It's his cousin, also an Aussie punter. Um, he 
got hurt last year halfway through. And so um, actually his, the guy who replaced him, you know, went to, to SMU and, and uh, did good things. So, I mean, it's, it's going to be interesting if he's healthy and ready to go. He's, he's, he's got the talent to make the big step his senior year. If not, we have a freshman, another each year, basically Bushevsky, Pearson and Dixon before him have been the number one player in the pro kick Australia pipeline. We've established a very nice where the top punter in Australia comes to UT. It's happened, you know, not three consecutive years, but three consecutive punters uh, that way. So, which is, which is a good thing. Again, Bushevsky has a little to live up to his cousin for sure. Who, who again was elite, but it did take a couple of years before Dixon really settled in and was an all American talent. So um, that's your legs. I do think that, Deshaun Jameson is the single best returner. And I've, I've gotten some flack for this in the entire country. I think he is the most dangerous and elite return man in the country. You saw um, that Oklahoma state game. They do not win that. If he does not return for a touchdown and change the entire momentum of that game Um, in the spring game, he had an interception that he returned 95 yards. Literally he runs, you know, for three level 40 and has an electric first step. He's very agile. He just needs to shake enough guys to get straight line speed. And when he does that, you know, he has game breaking speed. He had um, another one. He did actually get angled and got tackled at the five. I think he was, he was like, uh, and then there was, he had two called back last year for uh, holdings that may or may not have been like the direct result of springing him, but he basically was, you know, a tackle and two penalties away from four kickoff return touchdowns last year. So just a, uh, I think, elite so I, I actually would argue that texas special teams should be one of the strengths because you have seniors at each of those three spots and you could go as far as the long snapper is also a senior but basically everyone who's doing something for special teams should be a senior yeah i i think you'll get an argument especially from kansas state about yeah like the most talented returner but absolutely i think those might be the two best in the country right there and they're both in the big 12 yeah i, I mean i mean i I, I definitely see an argument for it. I, I don't know if I would go that far, but it definitely should be a strength, like you said. Um, you know, it, it was two years ago. Special teams was kind of single-handedly the one thing that made sure that Texas didn't lose to Kansas down in Austin. So um, it's it's been it's been pretty good, or at least has had its moments the last few years. I think Dicker for sure is kind of the the main guy that jumps out when when you think of Texas special teams. So all right, let's let's go ahead and jump over to the schedule. Because it's 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 a doozy for for Texas this year. I think yeah. the fact that they're you know facing a Louisiana team that was ranked at the end of last season um, is returning a whole bunch. Is expected to be a really yep. good team this year as well. You know that is the opener on September fourth. Um, you know on Fox, like right smack dab in the middle of the day. It should be a a pretty. I think it's one of the bigger games that you actually have in that first week. So, I mean, are, are you more worried about that game or the game the next week when they actually travel to Arkansas and have to play Arkansas? Really good question. I don't know which one I'm more worried about. Um, the The advantage of, of Louisiana is they are getting them at home. They've had all offseason to say, we got to beat Louisiana. They're coming into our house. It has been circled. There will be no sneak up. Now, that's not that didn't stop Tom Herman from playing Maryland twice to open a, a year. Right. Those, those jokes abound. Um, but I, I, I do think that, again, there was a mentality for Herman that if he thought he had the superior talent to the opposing team. There was no team in the, in, in the country, Alabama included, that Tom Herman could have played out that he wouldn't have kept Texas within a couple scores. I mean, you look at the history of his time at UT. Right. The biggest games they ever had were against the best opponents. They struggled with opponents that they felt they were better than. Right. Maryland is a prime example of that, opening the season when you think you're better, even after they've done it to you once, right? But anyway, Oh, gosh, yeah. Not, not to get in the history, but I think there's going to be a difference. I think 
there has to be a difference. I think Sarkeesian has to come out. It is an incredibly tough game to start with. I think Billy Napier is just an unbelievably great football coach. I think he's going to be doing huge things. Uh, if not at Louisiana, at probably a much bigger university in one of the big conferences here very shortly. Um, I was honestly surprised he didn't make the jump after this year, but um, they're returning a lot. Like you said, it's a really tough one. I do think, again, that will be circled on the calendar as the opener, the new coach, new era. I, I think, I think, I think I feel better about that one than just Arkansas. If, if the fact that Arkansas fans, Arkansas players, it is very much in the Arkansas DNA and culture to think of Texas as their biggest rival. When I was on an SEC podcast after the news broke, they kind of talked about, this is great for Arkansas that you're coming because Arkansas hasn't really been able to find a true rival in the SEC. So in their mind, Texas, which hasn't, played consistently for years is still a big rival i mean they came into to, to austin and kicked our butt uh 15 years ago you know when we hadn't played for a while they they whooped us in the texas bowl i unfortunately had to see in person uh you know when when bielema was there i mean they they get up for this game i don't think because uh of the the sec tie that it will be it'll be missed i i think uh texas players should be more aware that this will be a 100 percent red river shootout level rivalry game for the other team and so i hope that their eyes have been open but if not arkansas could 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 kick their tail but i do think louisiana might be the more talented team and that's no shots at arkansas and i like coach Pittman and what he's doing there a lot but louisiana brings brings a good amount back they're replacing a couple key guys but they bring a ton uh of dudes back so those if they go one and one in the first two games, I wouldn't be surprised if they can get through their first two games or three is, is rice and no, no shots at rice. But if they can get through their first three games, heading into the big 12 play three and Oh, that's a huge win. And, and really sets the course for the season. I think in a way that would, would surprise a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I definitely think like Louisiana, when it was scheduled, you were not expecting them to be as good as they are. So it's not that it's a shot at Arkansas. Um, this is just a, like probably once in a lifetime talented Louisiana team in, in terms yeah. of what they expect. So yeah, it's definitely going to be a, a fascinating. I mean, I think that's one of the biggest games for the big 12, like in terms of a two game stretch, there is Louisiana and, and, and at Arkansas, that's going to do the most in terms of the stature of the big 12. Of course, mm-hmm. I guess really the stature of the sec, cause Texas is going over there, you know, but, <laughs> but, uh, but no, I mean, so, you know, it's, it's definitely in terms of the big 12 getting respect this season, um, that could be hugely yeah. beneficial because even if Texas isn't one of the best teams in the Big 12 this year, if they win those games, have really good out-of-conference performances, and then other Big 12 teams are able to beat them, like it, it looks good for those that actually beat Texas at that point. So, And I don't know if, if everyone here remembers, but the Sun Belt coordinated assault on the Big 12 last year and the way that they just kind of carried that on social media. I mean, they talked their trash, and rightfully so, right? Um they showed if you were to just watch one week of college football last year and it was the opening week and all the 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 Sun Belt versus Big 12 you would think the the Sun Belt again just one week was right. the automatic qualifier type conference i mean that they they kicked butt and they they talked their smack afterwards so i mean that the the, the raging cajun folks we've talked to are just salivating at this game they are oh, of course just excited i, I mean, say it's, they, it's they were salivating they right they were salivating prior to the realignment news coming out and i'm assuming all of the extra publicity and everything going along with that just amplifies that even more for this game all right yeah. so so let's get into big 12 play I, you know I, I could run through every game but i think part of the problem here is that given kind of the realignment news like every single game this is probably going to be one of the games that's circled for every single team against yeah. texas so so yeah. just kind of set some baseline 
every single game we could say this is probably going to be the biggest game, the most like the most difficult environment to go into for for that particular team the entire season. So like, you know, I, I instead of going through every game and kind of talking about them all like, like I've done with the other ones, I, I actually want to just get from you kind of the highlights of, you know, like I, I think we all expect the game against Oklahoma to be a tough one because it is the Red sure. River rivalry and Oklahoma is the best, you know, probably the best team in the, in the conference, the game yeah. at Iowa state on November 6th is going to be definitely a difficult one. So I think instead, if you're looking at the teams that are kind of all fighting for what, what most people think is going to be third in the big 12 this year, which of yeah. those teams. So I'm thinking like, you know, TCU, West Virginia, yeah. uh, K state, um, you know, potentially Texas tech, like which of those teams do you think is going to be the, the toughest challenge for the Longhorns this season? Um, I hate the color purple. I hate teams that wear purple in the big 12. Uh, Texas lost to freaking Abilene Christian, who are the purple Wildcats in the uh, in March Madness. So, I mean, I just hate purple teams. I, I stand by that. Um, look, it, it does mean something. Don't let Texas fans tell you, oh, we don't care that we're three and seven against TCU. It does mean something. They're tired of it. It sucks because TCU fans talk all the trash. And again, you win the games, you get to talk the trash. Um, I think that game being before OU makes it juicy for, for TCU. Um, there is the, the chance that Sark is so, so looking forward to winning his first Red River rivalry that, that I don't think it gets overlooked. I think Crystal Conti being from TCU, I think, I think that history won't be lost on anyone. I think they will want to win that game, but that will be a huge one. Again, everyone blames Keontae Ingram now running back at USC, but for fumbling on the goal line. Um, you should really blame Tom Herman for not taking him out after gassing him on that last drive after a you know 50 yard uh, run. And, 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 but anyways, but that's one play. There was so many one plays that could have been difference in a, in a two point game last year, but Texas should have won that game. I mean, Melissa Trebowiser, who's one of my favorite humans in the world might say otherwise, but I don't know that anyone else would say that TCU should have won that game. Right. I think Texas had something crazy like nine or 10 plays over 10 yards called back on penalties. It was just like, it was a tough, tough game. There was penalties on both sides. Don't get me wrong. It just never could get started. I think there was like 50 penalties in that game. It was crazy. But anyways, I think that will be a big one. Being in Fort Worth will be absolutely a vicious environment to have to go into. And they will, uh, they will have gone to Fayetteville, but it will be their first big 12 road game. And so I think that is just going to be, it's going to be nasty. And so that will be a huge, and I will be watching. And again, just that stretch of TCU, Oklahoma, Oklahoma state will be, will be a very big one. I think you're absolutely right that going to Ames in November is going to be huge. I think that will be playing for who gets to play OU in the, uh, in the big 12 championship, if they can get through again, an ideal Texas scenario where they have beat the teams up until there. I think TCU is actually maybe underrated at this point. I think they're very good. And then we end the season with Kansas state who won Kansas state's worst year. I worry to death about them beating Texas because there's some voodoo that Bill Snyder did years ago that is it's only now starting to to wear off um <laughs> but uh and, and look if Tom Herman did nothing else he at least broke the curse um I was there for the Jordy Nelson game when he kind of announced himself to the world and against Texas and I you know Ron Prince somehow owned Texas like I it just it's so silly that Kansas State you know gets to gets to beat Texas and and even in like baseball one year I think they won three games and Texas was the big 12 championship but two of those games in baseball were against Texas they just they've done it for years but I do think that there's been a leveling out where Kansas State can't uh, can't just assume it's a W for them which is so crazy to say um, but still that being the last game I think the two purple teams are probably the two most dangerous games in in my brain after um, Iowa State and Oklahoma again the, the the obvious front runners in the big 12. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I definitely think it is weird how Kansas State just somehow has gotten under your guys' skin. So, I mean, like, even, like, Kansas State in basketball, like, there's been a couple mm-hmm. a couple mm-hmm. years where it's just, like, out of nowhere, they win that game and people start taking them seriously at that point. And, um, you know, Shaka had some issues with, uh, with, with, with K-State. You know, even yep. before Shaka, they had issues with K-State. So it's like, for whatever reason, K-State is a, is a team that just has your guys' number in so many different sports doing so many different things. So I, I do, though, want to talk about the most important game of the schedule, the one that I've been circling now for several years. Uh, you know, this Kansas-Texas game. This is probably going to be Kansas' last chance to actually beat Texas down in Austin. How yeah. worried are you about this game? Because for whatever reason, like, looking on paper, obviously, Texas is a lot more talented, Had you know, should be able to win this game easily. But for whatever reason, you know, the last time Kansas went down there, Brent Deerman, like, you know, brought up an yeah. offense that was able to score 48 points. Or, no, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. 48 points on the Longhorns and almost walk out of there with a win, if not for, you know, a a wonderful drive at the very end and, and, and Dicker kicking that field goal. So, well, I mean, yeah. are, are you worried at all about this one, especially if Kansas can actually find something under Leipold and, you know, things aren't necessarily going so well for, for, for Texas at that point? Because... Coming off yeah. of a game again, you know, at Iowa State, then having to go to West Virginia the week after mm-hmm. that before finishing up with Kansas State. I mean, I think there's a chance that this one might not necessarily be, you know, or that, that this one could potentially be overlooked a little bit, giving Kansas an opportunity. And then, of course, the way that these games have gone, who knows? Yeah, look, you're absolutely right to say that there's an Iowa State, West Virginia, the two weirdest road trips for a Texas school in the Big 12, right? They have to go to Ames, back to Austin, to Morgantown. So there's some weirdness in the scheduling there for sure. Um, I think you're absolutely right. When, when, when Kansas came in, rolled out that offense that Texas had never seen, they just, they, they worked us. I mean, it, I was sure we were going to lose that game. Um, it, it was nightmarish as a Texas fan again, because the memes, um, you know, uh, but look, I mean, Kansas beating Texas and ending the Charlie Strong era was symptomatic of a cultural rot that had been going on at Texas where there was a sense of entitlement. Like Kansas will always get to say, by doing that, we showed Texas, you're not better than anyone. And I think that was needed. And I, it, it hasn't been immediate, but I think we're now in our second coaching regime since then. Are you sure that that lesson's actually taken effect? Because it doesn't sound like it if you look on Twitter. <laughs> well, here's, here's what I'll say though. I, I think, I think losing to Kansas was what solidified us that there was something wrong. I don't think we fixed it, but I think the fact that good look, Alabama, you know, has lost to some, some teams at the beginning, I guess of Saban's tenure that, that, that they shouldn't have. I think they still hold a, a university La, Louisiana Lafayette uh, back when I think that's who beat him. Was it Monroe? Maybe it was Monroe that, that, that beat them at the beginning in Saban's first year. And, and just, he's held a grudge ever since, I think, but you know, it, you can lose to a team that you should on paper be better than, but I think I talked, I've talked to Charles Omena, who was a guy who you remember, Kansas Angel remember just, he was shouting and cursing and throwing his helmet and angry. And if you're a fan of Kansas, you say, look at this baby, but it meant so much to him because he expected when he came to Texas, like many of these players do, I'm from Texas. I want to make university of Texas the, Vince Young era Texas I want to be these NFL guys era and so he was so mad because it felt like he looked around and what he's told me is that he looked around on the sidelines and enough guys weren't upset that it was happening you know what I mean and there was something I think that woke up and and not that it was fixed overnight but that said to Texas players to the Texas administration something is rotten in the state of Denmark we have sat on our laurels there is something that isn't fixed isn't right and again Tom Herman came in and put a whole different 
I'm not going to sit here and badmouth Tom Herman, but his arrogance and smugness was his single greatest downfall. Right. I think that's, I think that's truly why he is no longer the coach of UT. Um, so I think Sark is a person who is smart, but he's not going to tell you how smart he is. His history has said that he has a humility, has an understanding of human emotion that will say, why don't I just go do it on the field? I don't need to tell you I'm smart. If you see it and you think I'm smart, great. And I, I'm so much more excited for that as my head coach. Um, I hope that this will be kind of the closing of a chapter where, where Texas is, is, you know, is humming by the end of the season and they have his offense figured out and they're moving. Look, I, I've said it before, even though tech, Kansas beat us, I don't hate Kansas. I, in fact, I want to see Kansas be better. I've been rooting for Kansas football to kind of, when you hired miles, I was kind of excited to see can something happen there. I, you know, right, I, I right. watching that project. Well, I mean, something was happening there they were getting back to where they needed to be at least from a talent perspective honestly miles was doing the job that david Beatty was supposed to do before him and getting the roster fixed and then it was a matter of like could he take it forward or do they need to bring in someone else to actually take you know an improved roster forward but yeah i i I do agree with you i think the biggest difference i've seen so far from sark like herman was the guy that came in and had such confidence that he was going to fix it that he acted like it had already happened and, yeah. and, and I think that was his biggest downfall was that he just assumed that it was going to get fixed. So he didn't necessarily need to work at it. Sark, you've already seen, like, he definitely is going to be working at it. Um, he doesn't, you know, come in with that smugness of, you know, we're, we're good. We're Texas. We're obviously going to be better right. than what we've been previously. He's actually going to put in the work to do it. I'm just hoping it takes a little bit longer, you know, than, <laughs> sure. than, than this season. So I understand. And look, look, I'll just say a couple more things here. I, I think Herman had, other coaches on his staff saying we need to do it this way we need we're not doing this and he said no i'm the head coach you listen to me right he had a kind of command and control sark has at least said the right things he's come in and immediately said oh my defensive coordinator runs this i i trust my position coaches my recruiters like he is empowering like there were multiple recruiting things for instance where you know a, a position coach said this is the guy i want him and herman came in and said i have final veto and said nope i don't want him and then that player has gone on to do great things at other schools and it's just like what your arrogance yeah. right but what anyways, were you thinking so yeah so i i do think that sark is smart enough to listen to those around him right and so hopefully that is what builds them up and and you know can can rise all, all the ties but i will just say this about kansas because i didn't want to come on a kansas podcast and not say it i will forever hate Charlie Weiss because, you know, he, uh, an absolute sham artist. But, a lot of us will too. Uh, yeah, well, what he did to, to Kansas, I, I think is he just stole money. But anyways, I think that I watched in the transfer portal and it, and it was crazy, right? I mean, I, I went on a, the ten twelve podcast and said that I thought that Kansas had better cornerbacks than Texas Tech, mainly to get the internet going nuts, but also because I think that it's unfair that Karan Prenti was stolen. I think the fact that Dijon Terry and Marcus Harrison, you have three guys who are going to be starting in the SEC next season after kind of the 10 years, eight years that Kansas has gone through, like, it stinks, man. Uh, Puka was so much fun to watch. Like, just the fact that all of these guys you know were there aren't there we're never able to get it together i have rooted for kansas football i really do want to see kansas i don't necessarily want to 10 win kansas again don't need that in my life but i mean i would love a yes you do win kansas yes you do you just don't know it <laughs> post if we go to a different conference in in, in big 12 or wherever y'all go y'all want to win i am eight, i am looking i'm looking forward to the day that kansas makes its way to the big 10 and texas is in the sec and they meet in the playoff and yes. then we can you know have this this again and really enjoy it. So I would not hate that if y'all go, I mean, the, the, you know, 20, 20, 35, probably before something like that might happen, <laughs> but we'll get there eventually. So, all right, Kyle, thanks so much for joining me. One, one final question for you though. 
In but, terms of record for this season, what do you think it's going to be for, yeah. for Texas? So best case scenario, again, I think if they get, if they get nine wins and get a 10th win in a bowl game, I think everyone's very, very happy that this is a, this is a great start. That would mean, you know, a couple losses. Look, I, I, I don't think in my heart of hearts, I think that they lose probably two big 12 games. One of the two out of conference games are their three losses. And I don't think their two big 12 games are going to be Oklahoma and Iowa state. I don't think they will lose to both. I think they will beat one of the two. I don't know which I'm not going to sit here and make a prediction, but I just feel like they're going to get up for both of those games and they're going to take one of them. I think nine and three is, is realistic. And again, if they win a bowl game that everyone will be very, very happy with the direction that it's going 10 wins is the standard that Mac Brown hung himself with honestly, but set at the university of Texas. That's that, that's the, the bar for, for success. If you win national championships, that's fantastic. Yeah. Let's be that every year. But if you, if you, if you win eight or nine games every year and have a really good program, that's just not going to be enough because that's the standard that I think we all kind of bought into and agreed upon. Right. And so look, Sark gets his first year. Not there is no risk. There's nothing. If, if he wins five games, I mean, it's going to be bad. There's going to be hard conversations. There's going to be a grace period to say, what's going on. I thought this is an offensive genius. Where's our offense at? Right. But I really legitimately don't see that happening. I think there's enough talent on this roster on both sides of the ball and special teams. Like we talked about that. If they don't shoot themselves in the foot, if they don't overlook opponents who they deem as being worse than them, that they should be able to go out even on games that aren't, isn't their a stuff. They should be able to be and, and C plus even in some games and, 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 and put themselves in positions to, to win. I think there's a lot of talent here still. I think um, I think that they will get eight wins as, as, as a floor. Um, I know that's saying a lot, and that's saying a lot about the Big 12 and a lot of people who want to beat Texas real bad. But again, I think eight to nine wins should be should be the, the, the minimum. I think 10 wins is like, wow, this is a really good year. So, so what I heard from all of that is that Texas is the modern-day Nebraska where, you know, if you don't get 10 wins <laughs> – they're not going to be happy. So, you know, I mean, Nebraska is the school that fired Frank Solich for only winning 10 games in a season year after year after year. So, um, yeah. yeah what we did to Mac Brown. He's got a, got a uh, right. Exactly. Program I mean, humming, yeah, you, you know? guys, you guys have a, a history of doing it as well. So, all right, Kyle, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you haven't already, please to go out where, or oh, I'm sorry, you know what? Hold on. I almost completely forgot. Kyle, where, where, where can everyone find your work online? Uh, you can follow our podcast Twitter at Longhorn Pod. That's the the Longhorn Republic podcast. You can follow my personal Twitter at Kyle Carp, and you should also follow my co-host Gerald Goodrich, who is on tonight. Gh Goodrich, he's got great stuff as well. But definitely take a look at our our podcast uh, show Twitter. We use it, you know, as our main tweeting platform for all things Big Twelve, uh, UT games, and sarcasm and snark abound. Um, Big Twelve Twitter is a good place. We interact with all the the, uh, the folks you've heard on some of these previews. And so, like I said, if you're not following us, even if it's a hate follow, give us a follow. We're, we're absolutely not the worst. There's some terrible UT Twitter presences. I promise we're not the worst. I, I, I was going to say, you guys are one of the few UT Twitter people that I can actually stand to follow because you've been very reasonable about this entire thing. And um, yeah, so I would definitely, if you're not already following them, definitely give them a follow. So, all right, that is going to go ahead and do it for us tonight. Um, you know, if, if you are also looking in addition to the, the, the Longhorn Republic podcast, um, you know, we also have one here on the 1012 network, fire the cannon, three ladies over there doing a really great job covering Texas as well. So there's a lot of really good Texas coverage. We just happen to have, you know, you on the show is one of the greatest ones and then them as well. 
Really glad to be working with them. But that's going to do it for us today. If you haven't already, please go out wherever you get your podcasts, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, any of the, million, uh, the other million apps that are out there. Just search for Rock Chalk Podcast so you can subscribe to the podcast and get every episode as soon as it comes out. If you can give us a rating and a review, five stars and nice comments, I'd absolutely love it. If not, just let us know what it is that we can be doing better. Really do bring the podcast to you guys, get you all the information you need in as entertaining a way as possible. So if you ever have any comments, questions, suggestions, people you want to try to interview, anything like that, you can contact me by email at rockchalkpodcast.gmail.com or on Twitter at rockchalkpod. Now that we're on Anchor, you can actually leave us a voicemail so we can get your voice on the show. Just go to anchor.fm slash rock-chalk-podcast slash message and leave that voicemail there. I promise we'll get you on the show as long as you're not super inappropriate. Um, we are absolutely happy to be on the 1012 network. If you have not already, please do go over and check out all the shows we have on the network covering a bunch of the teams that are in the, in, in the big 12. We've got a basketball show over there. And then of course the 1012 podcast that covers the entire conference as well. Just go on Twitter at 1012 network. That's T E N one, two network. And you can find all the shows there. Um, that's going to do it for us tonight. Kyle, again, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you guys so much for listening. And we will catch you guys next time on the rock chalk podcast. Podcast Network. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.